Running with giants. The premise of this comes from a really unique scripture found in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to read it with me, it says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. What does that even mean? Well, he kind of talks about the previous chapter having all these incredible men and women of faith who've gone on ahead of us. And then it says, now, therefore, in light of that, we've got this Again, this he almost makes it sound like there's this group of people in heaven, all the people that went before us, and they're kind of like rooting us on and cheering us on. And he goes, because of that great cloud of witness, let us throw off every every weight and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run. Everybody say run. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. So the idea of running with giants is that what if, what if, what if, one of these great legends of the faith, heroes of the faith, were able to kind of Get down out of heaven, come out of the cloud of witness, come out of the stands, if you will. And maybe for one lap of our race, what if they came along and just decided to run a lap with us? What if they came alongside just to encourage us, to support us, to give us that little nugget of wisdom or truth or advice? What what would they say to us? And I don't know about you, but I don't really want them to come and run a lap with me. I'd rather have a cup of coffee with them. How many runners out there? You like running? You enjoy running? God bless you. Envision this as a running thing. Hebrews envisioned it as a running thing. I'd like to envision it as coffee. But what if they were? What if they were able to just sit down with you or run a lap with you or hang out with you? And last week we looked at Abraham, again, the father of our faith. What would he tell you? Because you have to remember the wonderful thing about the heroes of the Bible is they're all failures. Doesn't that make you feel better? You're like, I'm dysfunctional. I'm not like Moses. I promise Moses was dysfunctional. I'm about to show you. Abraham had weird issues and what they did was is they fought through those issues and they came to these powerful conclusions and now they get because how many know when older people pass on wisdom it just sounds different this annoys me as a pastor because sometimes I'll say something that I think is kind of deep and profound and y'all just stare at me but if I were like 60 and I said it with like a different tone in my voice and I said the exact same thing you'd be like wow that is so good I'm gonna write that down but because I'm young, it doesn't, it doesn't sound the same. And so these older men and women of faith, they have these incredible moments and conclusions and insights and nuggets. And I just thought, what if, what if they could pass them along to you? And so last week was Abraham, but this week everybody shout, Moses. Moses, Moses is like the central figure really of the Old Testament. He's not the father of our faith, but he's the key story. The key story uh, in all the Old Testament is the Exodus. And the Exodus was led by this guy named Moses, but the problem with Moses is again that he had issues, he had problems. It's not like he figured it out right away, lived this champion life, and is this flawless character. Because I actually think you and I enjoy our flawed characters. They make us feel like we can do it too. Because here's what you have to know Moses didn't get it right until he was 80. Somebody say amen to that. You've got time. If you're over 80, get with the program. That's Moses. Lived 40 years in Egypt. Killed a guy on purpose. (laughs) Left for 40 years and then finally heard the voice of God calling him. And so if you're 80, you're in the prime of life right now. You're about to hear the voice of God. If you're under 80, we're about to figure this thing out. You ready to go? Here's the story of Moses. And I think if Moses could come alongside of us and have a cup of coffee or for y'all runners, run a race or for y'all bikers, Pete, maybe run a lap and pedal with you, whatever y'all do. Crossfitters, come and just torture yourself. Whatever. 
The advice that Moses would probably give you, I think, would be something like this. Here's what you need to do in life. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Because I mean, you know, like life is full of fear. Fear is all around us. Fear is a constant companion. You're going to have fear with you your entire life. That's why the most repeated line in all of the Bible is fear not. Why? Because God knows you're just going to battle with it. You're going to deal with it. And he's like, stop it. So but I think Moses would maybe unpack that a little bit differently and say, man, I remember how I experienced fear and how how imprisoning it was to me. And I just had to keep trudging along with my fears. I had to keep trusting in spite of my fears because some of y'all are oblivious. There's about 5% of y'all that don't feel fear, right? You're delusional is kind of what you are. And then you're like, no, I'm full of faith. No, you're oblivious is what you are. But 95% of us, we have fears and we have all kinds of fears surrounding us. As a matter of fact, you were born with fear. Did you know that? But think about this. Psychologists determined, and I don't know how they determined, but they figured out that babies are only born with two natural fears. The fear of loud noises and then the fear of falling. That any baby, no matter how old they are, I don't know if they were like, hey, let's yell at this little baby and see what happens. That sounds like child abuse. Hey, let's drop this kid, but catch it, you know. So they're just, but they realized, and so you were born with fear, but, everybody say, but, the other conclusion you have to come to is, is that all of your other fears that you have in life are learned or adopted. You picked them up somewhere. You were not born that way. You, you somehow picked those up somehow from the genetic code, from mom and dad, from life experiences. Because how many of you know parents, we have, we have a job. We have an opportunity to teach our kids about fear, don't we? Like you're supposed to, right? There's healthy fears. Moms, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like don't stick that thing in your mouth, you're going to choke, right? That's a good healthy fear. Like little babies shouldn't be chewing on little plastic toys, right? And then you teach your kids, don't play in the road, right? I remember when my son was real little, you know, we would we would try to teach him no, and no meant no, because one day he took off running and straight up was running straight towards the road of cars coming back and forth. And we're like, stop it! You try to teach him no, some healthy fears. Don't pick up snakes, right? That's smart. Unless you're one of them hillbilly weird people. Don't pick up snakes. Have a healthy fear of heights. Like, you know, you don't dance on the edge of a cliff. That's just not, that's just not wise either. There's some healthy fears, right? Like just things that you have a healthy fear of. Then you got these irrational fears. You got these emotional fears. These things that come from somewhere. Like some of you have a fear of rejection. So afraid. Like, what if they don't like me? What if I don't fit in? What if, what if they don't love me? I have a fear. Some of it's a fear of failure. You have these different irrational fears, emotional fears that somehow got into your life. And life is what taught you how to fear. Again, you learned them some way, somehow or another. You started learning from childhood, right? Do you, did anybody remember like their first major accident in life and you learned some things? Do everybody stick your finger in a light socket? What'd you learn? Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I remember I was a kid. One of the first major accidents I had as a child. We had, um, in South Carolina, we had these big rolling hills. And I had one of them out in front of my my house. And it was called Lowwater Lane. It was this road right out in front of my house. And it was this huge, steep decline. And um, I was a skateboarder for about six months. <laughs> and I decided I'm going to go down this big, huge hill on a skateboard. 
right? I'm like nine years old. And so you get to going and what you realize is, is that like any skateboarders out there back in the Dizay? Yeah. Remember you had trucks, the thing that put the wheels to the board and then you wanted them tight or loose depending on what you were doing well the problem is, is when you get to going really fast if your trucks aren't tight your board starts to wobble like crazy and i'm going down this hill at what feels like 60 miles an hour to my nine-year-old brain and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna die and so i jump off the skateboard thinking that is the best way to salvation Cause I'm like, I could just die down at the bottom of the hill or maybe I can like, and then here's the problem. When, when, when skin meets asphalt at high rates of speed, it creates friction. And so I literally, and again, when you're nine, you know, you just, it's different, man. So I, I literally hit and slid down the asphalt and I literally had a patch of skin removed from my right my right back cheek. Both of my knees were gone. My elbows were gone. I had missing skin on my hand. Whoo! You know what you learn? I'm not a skateboarder. Skateboarding is dumb. Why? Because life teaches you to have fears and respect for things, right? Have you ever grabbed a hot iron on accident? You ever do that again? Still to this day, I will get up on a Sunday morning and iron my clothes and I'll grab that iron and so like... Okay, we're good. I know that it has been in that closet for weeks and hasn't been touched because my wife don't iron nothing. I don't know why. You do dryer and you hang it. Is that what you just said? Anyway, thank you. Life hack. Just dry it and then hang it right away. Um, but the point is, is that you, you, you live in life. And again, if you live life long enough, you have these moments as a kid where you have these fears. But by the time you get a little bit older and a little bit older, your life experiences change. They get way more relational in nature. So all of a sudden you have these fears that rise up within you. Again, these fears of being inadequate. I have a fear of not measuring up. I have a fear of being alone. I have a fear And see, the problem is this, is that if you become a prisoner to your fears, you're no longer living life. You're just actually responding to your fears. That's what life looks like now. You're not proactive. You're not free. You're not, you're not paving a new way. You're not forging into new territory. You're just responding and reacting and all. No, I won't do that. No, I don't do this. And no, I don't. No, thank you to that. Because that's what you do when you have enough fears, isn't it? All of a sudden, like that person leaves you. Mm -mm, I ain't doing that again. Because emotional pain is the worst, isn't it? Emotional pain is way worse than physical pain because there's there's no great medication for that. And so you, somebody rejects you, somebody leaves, you're like, mm, I, I can't trust people anymore. Or you try something and it fails. You're like, mm, I ain't doing that again. Because we not only fear failure, we actually fear worse than that. We fear being seen as a failure. Because if we failed, you ever notice when you fall down and no one's looking? You don't care that much. But when you fall down and everybody's watching you, that's when you feel, well, that's when you feel dumb. So you don't feel failure as much as you fear being seen as a failure. So, so what, or you pray, you're, you really have this moment. Somebody really talked you into that thing where you put out your faith and you pray and you believe and you pray and you believe. And then God didn't answer your prayer. And you're like, I ain't doing that no more. Not trusting God anymore. Not going back to church anymore. You have, you have your, again, you have these experiences that drive you into these fears. And then you just, again, we all respond the same way. Well, I won't do that again. Well, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm going to kick back and whatever. But what happens when you become a Christ follower, baby? 
And all of a sudden, God asks you to do something. God asks you to trust. God asks you to obey. God asks you to step out. God asks you to believe again. And again, what you find is, is that you have a choice. You are going to experience fear in this life that is non-negotiable. But Moses, I think his advice would be to what? Feel the fear and do it anyway. And this is the life of Moses. Are you ready? Now, the life of Moses is fascinating. So if you have your Bible, go to Exodus, and we're just going to read three big parts of the life of Moses. We're going we're to talk real quick about his birth. We're going to talk about when he left, and then we're going to talk about God bringing him back again. And so there's, there's really three big stories. But the, the, the fact is, is that his birth, and I won't be able to read it all, his birth is surrounded by fear. Think about it. The Israelite people were in Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh and he doesn't like these people. And he's like, man, they're going to rise up. There's too many of them. They're populating too fast. Here's what we're going to do. What do we do when we don't want a group of people to raise up an army? We kill all the boys. We're like, nope, we're not going to let the men rise up and get angry at us and overthrow us or fight back against us. And so that's what we're going to do. And so Moses is born in this time period where Pharaoh is killing all the little boys. And if you grew up, how many grew up in church? This story had to have been on a flannel graph at some point. You know, that's the way you were raised as a little baby. And remember they put baby Moses into a little basket. There was a little song we did if you were in Sunday school. Did y'all miss out on that? You didn't miss much. It's all good. Um, but but here's, here's how it goes. It says this. It says in Exodus one twenty two. it says that, that Pharaoh gave the order to all of his people that every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but every girl can live. Now a man... Of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But she could no longer hide him. So she got a basket for him and coated it with tar and pitched. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. How terrible does that sound? <laughs> hey, let's put little baby Moses in a basket. Push him out into the Nile where the crocodiles and the alligators are. And what do you do? Hey, let's see what happens. That's like we were watching the nature show and you see like the lions come up on the gazelles and you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. I feel like, what are y'all doing? But they waited and they watched the sister. You got to get this sense maybe that the sister was jealous of new baby Moses and all the attention he was getting. And she's like, yeah, yeah, baby Moses. Good luck out there. What what's going to happen to you now? Anyway, I don't know. I'm speculating. But it could have been. Then, verse 5, then Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is crazy. You got to remember Moses is hidden for three months. And then they put him in a basket, shove him off, and say, good luck out there, little buckaroo. We hope you make it. And who does, who's the person that finds little baby Moses? It's Pharaoh's daughter. She's down in the Nile taking a bath and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. Oh, this is one of the little Hebrew babies. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter. So it's almost like the sister kept going down the river, just watching and waiting. And so the daughter, the sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, why don't I go get one of those Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yeah, that's a great idea, she answered. So the girl went and got Moses' mom. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you for it. So wait a minute. You gave baby Moses back to his mom and then paid her. Moms, can I get a witness? How cool would that be? Get paid for being a mom. Hardest job on the planet. Hey, we're going to take your baby. Hey, you want it back? And then we'll give you some money on top of that. So the woman 
took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water, which is really prophetic because Moses is the one who had come back in 80 years and draw his people out through the water of the Red Sea. And so there's some, there's some types and shadows and symbolism going on here. But here you have this incredible story. But what, here's the problem is that Moses still ends up at the end of the story afraid. But if I were to like get up here and I was just like, hey, my name's Todd. I'd like to tell you my testimony. Hey, when I was a baby, they were killing all the other babies, but my mom sent me down a river and launched me down a river. And I actually got picked up by the king's daughter. And then they took care of me and gave me back to my mom and paid them the money. And you'd be like, holy smokes, man, that is incredible. Man, God has his hand all over you. Todd, you must be special. You must be the chosen one. You are Neo. You are something. That's incredible. You would think my story is amazing. Not Moses. Because here's the reality is that some people look into their past and they're driven by their fears. They take every moment that didn't go right. They take everything bad that did happen. They got every moment where they did fail or they were rejected. And they're saying, I'll live that way. But really, there are other people that look into their past and they are driven by God's faithfulness. See, I'm telling you something here. When you walk with God long enough... God gives you some incredible vision into your past. He gives you some incredible hindsight. We're in the year 2020. There's some hindsight that God gives you once you've been walking with him. And what happens is you look back into your past and you're like, oh, that. So God was keeping me from that. God was protecting me from that. God actually set me up for this. I thought I really wanted this. And instead he gave me this. And at the time I was mad. But now I look at it and I'm like, that was brilliant. And what you realize is God gives you this 2020 hindsight vision that now you look back into your past because you can see more clearly now the invisible hand of God orchestrating little tiny details. And so that is the story of Moses' birth. And we would all look and say, man, that's incredible. God clearly is protecting you in some supernatural way. But that is not how Moses felt. So let's fast forward 40 years. One day... After Moses had grown up, he went out there or out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So you got to remember, he's living in the palace and all the Hebrews have been turned into slaves. So he's watching them work hard. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. I love this. This is what premeditated murder is, just so you know. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and then went and buried him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting with one another. And he's like, hey, what, what's wrong? Why, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler or judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was what? He's afraid. He thought what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by well so you see now Moses's life is shifting once again he's gone from being a baby born into a moment of fear to now being a Hebrew figuring out that he's in fear of his life and he runs to here's the great Moses hiding out in Midian here's the great Moses who says I'm not going back I'm done he actually goes and finds a a wife starts working for the father-in-law he's got that cush gig you know I'm talking about Working for my wife's dad. He's a shepherd. Everything's just, I'm hiding out in Midian. 
Don't nobody know my name. Don't nobody care about me. Nobody knows that I murdered somebody. It does. It's all good. I'm just going to live this cushy nerf life, never having to risk it. But he has this experience in Midian. And this is what happens. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the, the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Which, by the way, would be the same mountain that we call Mount Sinai, which is the exact place that God brought him back to and gave him the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Basically, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, that's weird. I'm going to go over there and look at this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? Because that's what you would do. If you found just in the desert a bush that was on fire, you'd be like, that's weird. And then it's not even that it's on fire. That was somewhat common. It just never burns out. So he goes over to check it out. And then a voice starts speaking. And that would freak you out. A voice starts speaking from the burning bush and cries out, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, says God. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses just seems like a scary cat at this point. He's afraid of God. He's afraid of Pharaoh. He's afraid. He's afraid. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians, they're oppressing them. And so now go. I got a job for you, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Everybody say, but. See, sometimes God asks you to do stuff. Ask you to be obedient. Ask you to trust. Ask you to step out. Ask you to like, ask you to say, hey, I, I want you to fast. You want me to stop eating? Yeah, yeah, just trust me. I want you to be radical in generosity. You want me to give my money away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to just obey and do things that don't make you want me to obey. Yeah, God just asks you to do things sometimes. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I'll stop there because I can't read the whole story just for sake of time. But for the next chapter, all he does is tell God why God is wrong. You ever done that before? You ever rationalize your disobedience? Well, God, I would obey, but. Well, God, I would do this, but you don't understand. And so for the next chapter, that's all he is. He starts off with like, well, who am I? You know what he has? He has a fear of inadequacy. Like, who am I? I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not equipped. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. Then he goes on to say, well, like, what do I even say to them? Next he goes, they won't believe me. I have a fear of failure. This is not going to work. I'm going to go and no one's going to believe me. Remember the one, I'm the one that killed the Egyptian and got run out and my own people didn't even like me. Then he goes on to say, I can't speak well, by the way. You want me to go talk? I've got like a speech impediment. I can't even talk good. Then he goes on to just flat out say, God, would you please send someone else? For a whole chapter, all he does is wrestle with his own fears. But here's what I think he ends up saying. Because God gets angry with him. 
And it almost reads as if, have you ever had like dad get angry with you when you were a little kid? And all of a sudden, like the fear of God comes over you? Okay, fine. You don't want to. You just do it anyway. Because dad is so angry. So God gets angry with him. And I think this is what Moses would ultimately say. Well, I'm scared, but I'll go. It's not brave. Remember when Mel Gibson is about to take on the English and he rallies all the soldiers? Remember like these moments in history where Patton gets up and gives a speech and you're like, yes, we're going to do this. Moses never has a speech. Moses' speech is all about what he can't do and what he's not good at. And in the end, he goes, all right, I mean, I'll go. But only because you're making me. I'm scared. But I'll go. And the thing that you have to wrestle with is that same thing. Fear is a constant in your life. You're always going to have fears. You might as well just get over it. The question is, is will you let your fears imprison you or not? Or will you become like Moses and say, you know what? I'm scared, but I'm going to go. And watch what happens because the more Moses keeps walking and going, the more God keeps showing up and his confidence just keeps building. This is why the ultimate advice that he would give you is what? Feel the fear and do it anyway. He'd be saying, look, I know they were killing all my brothers and sisters when I was little, or all my brothers at least, and I was afraid. And you know what? I killed a person. They said they were going to kill. I was afraid. And then God speaks to me, and I'm afraid. And then I got to go do something that's way beyond me, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. But I'm telling you, because remember, you got to remember this. Moses, when he comes to run this race with you, when he comes to have a cup of coffee with you, it's not young Moses speaking to you. It's old Moses speaking to you. And you know what old Moses figured out? In life... You just feel the fear and you just keep going. You feel fear and then you do it anyway. You feel fear and you just obey. Why? Because you just never know. You never know what God is able to do with a willing vessel. You never know what God is able to do with a blank check. Will you give God a blank check and say, just whatever you want, I don't care. The answer is yes before you even finish asking the question. You never know what God can do with a person like that. So Moses is like, hey, look, feel the fear and do it anyway. First question I want you to ask yourself is this, what's your fear? Like if I tell you feel the fear and do it anyway, you better dissect that thing a little bit. Like what is the fear? Again, for some of us, it is a fear of rejection. It's a fear of being alone. Like, like the reason why you settle many times for toxic relationships is because you fear being alone. So you're settled for Mr. Right now instead of trusting God and waiting for Mr. Divine Right. So there's all kinds, you, you, you fear the failure to the point that you won't step out. Like you have a fear of sharing your faith. You have a fear of taking on that new venture. You have a fear of making that move. You have a fear of starting that company. You have a fear of having that difficult conversation. What if it doesn't go good? What if they reject me? And you'll have a chapter of arguing with God. And what it shows you is, is that you're actually being imprisoned by your fears. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. I know the fear is real. I know you feel like there's a panic coming over you. Trust me, I think he knows. Feel the fear. Do it anyway. Here's the next question. Number one was, what is your fear? Second question is this, what is your it? What is your it? What is the it that you need to do? What is the it that God has called you to do? As a husband, what's your it? As a wife, what's your it? As a mom, as a, hey, on your job, what's your it? Because I'm telling you to feel the fear. I think Moses is telling you to feel the fear and then do it. Everybody say it. Do it anyway. What's your it? Some of us are so 
we're, we're so distracted by our fears, we've lost sight of what the it even is. God, what is it that you're doing in me? What have you, have you called me to do? What are you asking me to trust you with? If you don't have an it, you're not even living by faith yet. You gotta have an it that's driving you. Then you gotta figure out what the fear is and say, I'm scared, but I'll go. I'll feel the fear. I'm going to do it anyway. That's ultimately how I end up tricking myself into a lot of things. Can I just tell you that? I just, all I do is I just keep talking to myself. I have an inner conversation with myself. Anytime I get afraid, I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to keep talking to myself. But I'm going to keep walking as I do it. If I keep talking to myself while I keep walking, I'll distract myself till I get right to the brink. And then I'll just push myself. And that's kind of how you do it. You just feel the fear. I'm not saying, because see, we have this thing in life where we tell you, oh, stop fearing. Just get over your fears. You shouldn't have fears. <laughs> well, of course not. All of our fears are irrational, but we still got them. So I'm not here to telling you that you'll never feel fear again. I'm telling you, you're going to feel incredible fear. And the bigger the stakes and the greater the chances and the odds and the bigger the thing God asks you to do, the more fear is going to happen. And I'm telling you what I think Moses would tell you. I'm telling you to feel the fear and just do it anyway. Just keep trusting God. Just keep obeying. Just keep walking. Talk yourself into it, whatever it takes. Feel the fear and do it Anyway, two last thoughts and I'll close on this. These are Moses's, I think, final words of encouragement. It's 1106 if you're taking medicine, by the way. Final words of encouragement from Moses. Number one is this, recognize that God's always been at work within you. Take a look back. Some of you need to have a moment where you look into the past and you recognize every time God, through the invisible hand of whatever he was doing, the Holy Spirit guiding, the, the little unctions, the little nudges, the little circumstances of life, how they all fit together like a puzzle piece. And you're like, huh, hum, hmm. Look at what God did, even when I didn't see it coming. Watch this scripture out of uh, Hebrews. So remember, we were reading out of Hebrews earlier. We dove back into Exodus, read the story. Look how Hebrews talks about Moses again. He says this. He goes, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was what? He was no ordinary kid. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Here's, Here's the point. Here's the walk away here. Moses should have looked at his whole life. He should have been on tour. He should have written a book. Look at my life. He should have had a mailing list. Should have been preaching conferences. Look at my life. I was hitting a basket. Little crocodiles are everywhere, but I keep skating through. And then I'm found. And he should just be telling this incredible story. See, again, I think if old Moses, not young Moses, but if old Moses could come and run a, a lap and come and have a cup of coffee with you. He said, look, man, it took me a while to figure it out, but I looked at the orchestrating hand of God in all that was going on around me. And then at some point, I could not deny that God had called me. I couldn't deny it anymore. Number two is this, last words of encouragement. Number two is remember that God's promise is of greater value. Let me unpack that. This is what Hebrews says after. He goes, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Meaning I'm not going to lock into the identity of my youth. That's who they said I was. That's not who God called me to be. He chose me, or he chose to be mistreated, Moses did, alongside with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace For the sake of Christ. Now think about this. This is a beautiful thought here. This is what, this is how you ought to read the Old Testament, by the way. 
See, Moses had no thought of who Christ was, but the writer of Hebrews says, yes, he did. He said, listen, listen, when you're responding to God, you need to know that Christ is everywhere and in all things. That the hero of the story is Christ. That even when you look at these Old Testament stories, you're looking for Christ. Because Christ is always the hero, uh, the hero of the story. And so he goes, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of, everybody say, greater value. There's greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You know what he's saying? He was saying Moses made a choice not to be kind of lumped into the identity of his past. He made a choice to side with God's calling on his life. Here's what he really made a choice. He made a choice to say yes to Christ because it was of greater value, the writer of Hebrews says, than all the treasures of Egypt. See, there's greater things. That's what you have to recognize, that God's purpose is of greater value. Greater than what, Todd? Whatever you come up with. Because see, here's here's the deal. I know people in life who have millions of dollars and they're miserable. Money can't solve all things. It gives you options. It doesn't solve all things. Because I know people that have tons of money and they don't have their health and they have their depression and their families are, are fractured and their families are a wreck and they have no meaning and they have no purpose whatsoever. You know what ultimately your finding is? Is that Moses chose the thing of greater value when he said, Christ, I want you in my life and I want to choose the greater purpose that you called me to. Because I'm telling you, you can gain all the money in the world and I'm telling you, you're going to end up empty. You can get all the things that you think you really long for and want in this life. You're going to end up empty. There is only one thing that can truly satisfy the longing of your soul. And that is the divine. That is a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you what Moses, what Moses would come along to you and say is this. Hey, look, for you to discover the it, for you to find that greater purpose, that greater value, that thing that God's called you to do as a husband, as a dad, as a mom, as a, I'm telling you. It's of incredible value. It's of greater value than anything that you can find on this earth. And so Moses, in light of that, would say, listen, listen, listen. Feel that fear and do it anyway. Would you bow your heads with me today? Hey, Holy Spirit, please speak to us today. Be active in our thoughts, in our emotions even. God, speak to us. Hey, God, what's our fear? What's the thing that ends up locking us up? What's the thing that instead of saying yes to God, we say no and argue and debate and rationalize? God, what's the fear that imprisons us? God set us free today. Hey, God, what's the it? Would you speak that to us today? What's the it? What's the calling? What's the purpose? What's the plan? What do, you designed me for a reason. And it, it doesn't have to be some type of like world-shaking thing. It needs to be world-shaking to someone. God, what's the it? That you've called me to. God I pray that you would constantly. Be the confidence in my heart. You would constantly be the voice. In my ear. Saying you don't have to fear. I am with you. Father help us. Father we pray. In the mighty and victorious name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap today?